Good to see you guys. Great to be with you. If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Guy, and I'm a member of the teaching team here, and it is also my privilege to be involved in the development of our international ministry partnerships. And so two weeks ago, I was in Yangon, Myanmar, at our sister church, the Patamea Christian Church, and we had a week of training there. Uh, I was with our dear friend, Pastor Nopum, so we have a slide of Pastor Nopum here, and I love his smile. That's Nopum. You've seen him up here if you've been around for a while, and uh, it's always great to spend a week with Pastor Nopum. Yeah, but my question this morning is, why is Nopum smiling? And uh, I will tell you the answer, uh, my answer to that same reason I'm smiling is because we started this partnership basically five years ago. We started a partnership with Pastor Nopum. Uh, Christopher and I went there, then he came here and sat down in my living room with our elders and our pastors, and he laid out a vision. And it was a strategic vision, and it had five components in that. And so Christopher and I went and we wrote up a little piece called uh, Myanmar Gospel Vision 2020, and it had all five of those components. So next slide shows you the five components of the 2020 vision. So first one was to begin boarding home support. Secondly, recruit more U.S. churches to come alongside Pastor Nopum uh, in, in boarding home support. The third was to begin LTS training. LTS means lay people training school. So that is for um, people basically post high school, college age, to come together and to get trained to live out their Christian life within the culture. And then build the PYDC, Patamia Youth Development Center building, which is a key strategic part of the strategy to, to reach the country. And then finally, to begin the T4T training, that means training for trainers. So now that training is, is kind of at a higher level. It's to duplicate Nopum and his work of training trainers throughout the country. So that's a lot of things. Now here's what's amazing. It struck me as I was just there in January of 2020, a couple weeks ago, and I'm looking at the 2020 vision and I realized every single thing on that list had come to pass. It's all accomplished, every bit of it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Every bit of it is accomplished in that five years. And it's so amazing because oftentimes we lay out a vision and we go, oh, we have this grand vision. And then, you know, a few years later, we're like, well, where are we at on that vision? And this one is just, it's just accomplished. It's so cool. So let me show you some pictures that are associated with this vision. So first of all, uh, boarding home support. This is Pastor Darren Larson from Imprint Church in Bothell, Washington. And it's a partner church with us. And so their church has come alongside. He's speaking here at the Yangon boarding home to the children there. Their church sponsors the Yangon boarding home. I think there's 75 kids in this boarding home. Our church sponsors Miangmia boarding home, which is four and a half hours outside of Yangon in the Delta region, a very poor area. There are 86 children in that boarding home. And so we're starting to expand uh, the church involvement, expand boarding homes. And then amazingly, next slide is a slide of Pastor Michael Loudermilk from Christ Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. 
here's an amazing story. I met Michael in Rwanda, and we were teaching at the ACT College in Kigali, and he was teaching there, and I met him, and I, we struck up a relationship and started telling him about Myanmar. He got really interested, kept the relationship when he came back to the States, and one day he called me and he said, I just feel like our church is supposed to go to Yangon. What should I do? And I said, you got to come with me. So he came on this latest trip with his mission pastor, and they got fully on board to sponsor a new boarding home in Rakhine State, which is the conflict zone. Now, if you follow Myanmar, you've heard Rakhine State. That's where a majority of conflict is happening. Their church is going to sponsor a new boarding home in that conflict zone. Now, this is how weird it is, the stuff that God does. Okay, I'm not making this up. We pulled into the Holly Hotel in Yangon, first day, go into the lobby. I go up to my room. Darren's in the lobby, and this guy walks up to Darren, and he says, uh, what are you doing here? Because, uh, you know, he's this white guy, you know, obviously an American. He's like, so what brings you here? And he says, oh, well, we're here because, you know, we're working with this Christian deal. And the guy goes, oh. He goes, I, I've been coming here for 20 years. And uh, we come in, in our church group, and we do this. And Darren says, well, where are you from? He says, I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> True story. So this guy has been coming for 20 years. He's the president of the board of this group in Little Rock that has been reaching out to another, a whole other area of Myanmar. And he gives him his contact information, gives him the address. Michael Loudermilk shows up, and we show him the guy's information. He says, that guy's church is directly across the street <laughs> from where our church meets in a Christian school. Directly, you go out the driveway, you go into their driveway. That's where it is. Okay. What do you think? <laughs> in Yangon. This is how weird it is, okay? I'm telling you, God is guiding. It's amazing. So we have boarding home. We have growing support. It's amazing. And then we have the LTS. Here's Pastor Christopher last year teaching at the LTS training. This 2020 will be the fifth time that we've been involved. There will be between 60 and 90 students coming to this thing. And it's just an amazing home run ministry. It's fantastic. And so then the next thing is the PYDC building. And uh, that's kind of a nice night shot at, at dusk of the building. And uh, this building is key to the development of the program because it's youth development, job training, community service, community gatherings. That means for the Buddhist community, they get to use it leadership training, post-boarding home resident for students. When they go out of the boarding home, they have no place to go sometimes. They can stay here. They can get on-the-job training. And so this is crucial, just completed, and we were able to meet here. What an amazing fulfillment of a vision. And then finally, we have the first T4T training, if you can see that. Um, that's the class, 25 students. And this is the first of a biannual three-year modular program that's going to train these leaders to go train other leaders and to multiply ministry. That's an amazing amount of vision fulfillment, thank the Lord. Why is No Poom smiling? Well, let's look at the next slide. No Poom is smiling because he knows what we know, and that is Romans 16.9 a wide door for effective ministry has opened in Myanmar. And 
There are many adversaries. That's also in the verse. Don't like that part as much. But there are many adversaries. I came out of the PYDC building at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There's a public school across the street. Parents had gathered to pick up their children. And I walked out and I stood there and looked at the crowd. And there was a man 20 feet from me. He's like right, right there. And he turned around and he squatted down and he looked at me with eyes of death. I'm not kidding you. This guy, I'm like, this guy is going to come over here and kill me. And I felt like I was back in Egypt, you know, back at the train station in Cairo. Um, and so I smiled, you know, hey, uh, nothing. <laughs> I'm like, so I went to Nopum. I'm like, what's up with that guy? You know, he, that guy looks like he hates me. He said, oh, yeah, th these are what we call the uh, Buddhist jihadists, <laughs> which doesn't seem to go together. He goes, these are the Buddhists. They're called the 696 group. He said, they're all throughout this neighborhood, and they hate Christians. And so you think about it. They know. Where did Nopum get the money to build this building? Right? They know. He didn't have the money to build the building, so some Westerner has helped him. Guess who showed up? The Westerners, <laughs> you know. So I, I come out, this guy sees me, and he's like, oh, I get it. You're the guy. You're people. So Nopum says, yes, this is the environment that we live in. He has to walk a fine line. It's amazing that he ever got permission to build this building. It's because for 25 years, he's been working to build rapport with his Buddhist neighbors and bringing value to the community to the Buddhist community as a Christian, and yet it's a fine line, okay? There's a wide door of effective ministry, and, and it's amazing. And there are adversaries, which brings me to the point of the message today. It's never going to be easy to be a fully committed follower of Christ, but it's always going to be worth it, always. It's something that I've seen demonstrated in the lives of Christians all around the world, but it's something that I've learned from the teaching of Jesus himself in Scripture. So raise your hand if you need a Bible. We're going to open up to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 14, continuing our study in Luke. And we're going to read the words of Christ. And the words of Christ are going to challenge us. I hope they're going to inspire us. They're going to clarify for us what does it mean to be a disciple. They're going to show us that it's never going to be easy to be a fully committed follower, but it's always going to be worth it. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Let me read this to you. Now, great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise... When he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build but was not able to finish. 
Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, there it is. The radical, some might say shocking, at least extremely challenging words of Christ in which Christ spells out the cost of true discipleship. And I don't know about you, but when I read these words, if I'm really paying attention and taking my time with it, it's kind of like getting hit in the face with a bat. It's like, what? That's so extreme, Jesus, what you just said. So what I want to do this morning is I want to help us to hear the words of Christ. I want to help us to hear this radical challenge for what it actually is. And I think I can help us by sharing three things. First of all, to understand these words, we need to see the crowd. That's the first thing. We've got to see the crowd first. Did you see it in verse 25? Now, great crowds accompanied him. And we have to ask the question, why? Why are there great crowds following Jesus? Especially if he says stuff like this all the time. I would suspect there wouldn't be great crowds following him if, if this was every day of the week. That's all Jesus talked about was this. It'd be too intense for people. But great crowds are following Jesus. Now we find out in chapter 15 that the tax collectors and the sinners heard him gladly. So now we, we get a picture, a snapshot, who's in the crowd? And what we find out is the people in the crowd are the hurting people. The people in the crowd are the outcasts, the people who don't fit in, the people who are not approved of, the people who are not overly religious. Those are the people in the crowd, right? Why is the crowd accompanying Jesus? And the simple answer is, these are the people who have been touched by the amazing grace of God and the gospel through Christ. These people have seen something in Jesus that has shaken their world. These people are willing to take days off work, to travel long distances. It's difficult to get food and to find shelter. They don't care. They say, we got to be there. we got to see what Jesus is going to do next. They've seen Jesus heal people. They've seen Jesus love people. They themselves have heard incredible words of grace. Do you remember what happened just before our passage, last week's sermon? Jesus had been invited to a banquet, great banquet. Now, when you go to a banquet in the ancient world, you know, the thing is, whoever puts on the banquet, they invite all the important people and all the people they think they can get something back from. That's just the way it goes in the ancient world. I don't know. Does it happen today? Maybe. But, hey, invite a who's who's list to your banquet 
So Jesus, when he's at the banquet, he says, let me tell you something, banquet guy. He says, when you have a banquet, what you really should do is you should go out and invite the blind and the lame and the poor and the people that can never pay you back to your banquet. That's who you should bring to your banquet. Why? Because he's about to explain and use this banquet as a symbol of the gospel, of God's grace poured out to people who don't deserve it. Later, he says, you know, in God's banquet, the proud won't even come. But God goes out and he sends his workers into the highways and the byways and the hedges and he compels people and says, come in. There's grace for all at the banquet of Christ. First, you must see the crowd and understand that before we hear Christ's word of radical challenge, we must see the gospel of radical grace. I find it intriguing that it's grace that comes before and after this challenging word. The banquet story, and then on the other side of it, if we were to read in chapter 15, just a little preview, Pharisees and scribes are grumbling. Chapter 15, verse 3, he told them a parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? We'll hear more on that next week. But don't you love, do you know the parable of the lost sheep? The good shepherd, you know his heart, his heart is so much for every single sheep that he'll leave the 99. He'll go out after the one. Just go looking. Just go searching for that one because he loves them so much. He cares so much. You go, that's, man, that's grace. And then all of chapter 15 is just grace upon grace upon love. It's beautiful. This is the larger context. Whenever you hear a challenging word of Christ for your life, please put it in the larger context of gospel grace and hear Christ's word of invitation to you. There's an invitation here. Maybe it's hard to see in the passage. Go back to chapter 14 and verse 26. If anyone comes to me, now the hard part's gonna start right away, but I'm just gonna stop it right there. If anyone comes to me, it sounds like an invitation. Anyone can come to me, Jesus is saying. Whosoever will, come. This is familiar language. It's like we've heard Jesus say things like this before. There's an open invitation from the heart of Christ to you and you and you and me. Do you hear his invitation? These words remind me of another famous passage. Very similar. Here it is. It's in Matthew 11 in verse 29, or 28 and 29. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that a good re- Think of the invitation, come unto me. This, see, this is familiar language. Jesus is always talking like this. This is the posture of Christ. Come unto me, you who labor and are heavy laden. Now, that's a winning passage. You know, I'm looking for winning passages. When I go overseas, I get into context and I don't know what to preach. I don't know what part of the Bible to go to. 
I went, I was in Egypt, went in downtown Egypt late at night to this church at the end of an alley, and they asked me to preach, and I got up, and I preached, and it was just a train wreck. It was just... And I went away, and I said, oh, man, what should I have preached on? And then later I realized I should have preached on Matthew 11, the invitation. Come unto me, all you who labor, because it's universal. Everybody carries burdens. Everybody is tired. Everybody can hear that. Oh, what a beautiful word. Jesus was always saying things like this. Disciples shooed the children away. Get away from Jesus. Jesus said, no, let the children come unto me. With such is the kingdom of heaven. This is just the posture of Jesus. Have you heard the invitation of Christ? Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you've been coming to church and you're you're listening to the messages and you're listening to the gospel and you're going, you know what? I think there's an invitation for me. And you know, Jesus, he says, if anyone comes to me, he doesn't say, if anyone comes to church, if anyone comes to a religious ceremony, he says, if anybody comes to me, Jesus is inviting each of us into a personal relationship of God's grace and love. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It's amazing. So this is my context now for hearing this radical challenge of Jesus. So that's the first thing. See the crowd and understand how grace has touched their lives. Here's the second thing that will help us. Recognize the intention of Christ. What is the intention of Christ in saying these extremely challenging words? Well, there's several dimensions to it, but I can tell you one thing. His intention is to move us from being interested onlookers in the crowd to being fully committed followers. That's his intention. Can you see that? Jesus turns to the crowd. You know, what he says is very intense, but it isn't like, you know, the super intense school for just the apostles. Jesus doesn't say to the apostles, hey, everybody, you know, disciples, you come over here into a secret room. We'll leave the crowd out there. I got a few things I need to tell you. They're kind of intense. I don't want anybody else to know. They'll find out later. <laughs> and then just have a talk with his, you know, hardcore, for the hardcore, you know. He doesn't. Jesus says, I want everyone to hear this message. Jesus says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the fine print up front. Don't you hate it when you go online to book a hotel room and it says, special deal, you know, only three left, $119. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. And you go into it and then the charges keep piling up more. You get the final tab. It's like twice as much. Now, where did this come from? Oh, we didn't tell you this. Excellent tax, all this tax. Because they didn't tell you up front what the real price was. Not so with Jesus. Jesus is going to tell us right up front the cost of discipleship. And that cost isn't for super disciples. It's for every disciple, everyone in the crowd, each and every one of us. There aren't two tiers of being a disciple, the ones who just want to go to the banquet and the ones who, who really want to go hardcore with Jesus. There, aren't two, there isn't a division. You can't say, you know, I really like the banquet thing. It's so cool. Jesus signed me up for that banquet. <laughs> Sign me up. If I'm, the, if I'm the one sheep, sign me up. You'll come after me. Love it. Beautiful. So in between the two, Jesus says to the whole crowd, oh, by the way, you can't sign up for those things without also signing up for this. 
His intention is to move us from simply being an interested onlooker in the crowd to being fully committed followers. River West Church, this is the intention of Christ for every single one of our lives. So we need to know that up front, and that's what the gospel is telling us. The intention of Christ is to reorder our priorities and our commitments. He's going to reorder our priorities and our commitments. That's the cost of discipleship. So now go back to chapter 14 in verse 26. If anyone comes to me, there's the invitation. But now here's the challenge. And does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life. He can't be my disciple. And you go, that is just ridiculous. That is so over-the-top, intense. What are you even talking about? Is this the same Jesus that said, love your enemies? <laughs> Pray for those who persecute you? How can this be the same Jesus? Oh, but it is the same Jesus. So we're going to have to think carefully about his words. Now, the word hate in the Greek language that's translated here, hate, actually can mean in some context, it will mean the word hate. In other contexts, it's going to take on a different meaning, and that meaning is to disregard in contrast to giving preferential treatment. All right, that's straight from the Greek lexicon, folks. Definition number two. Definition number one is hate, yeah. So that's just a one-word definition. But if you want to nuance it, in that culture, an honor-shame culture, with, where family allegiance is the highest allegiance of all, then it takes on this meaning. To disregard in contrast to giving preferential treatment. Now, that's a very important distinction in the definition. And I suppose it would have been awkward to translate it. If anyone comes after me and does not regard in contrast to giving preferential treatment... Uh, his father and mother and all that. I mean, he did. So we don't want to translate it with all those words, right? But so now, but as we teach, we need to unpack this and understand what it means. It doesn't give you permission to hate your parents. People are like, awesome, I already hate my parents. <laughs> you know, no, that's not, that's not what this is about, right? Jesus says to love your enemies, all right? But listen, in this culture... If you were to have a higher allegiance to anyone or anything above your parents or your family, they would perceive that as you hating them. Why do you hate us? Why do you shame our family? Why will you not follow our instructions and our ways? So strong in the ancient culture and even in Asian culture today is this trait that we have a hard time understanding it here in the United States. I was driving down the street one day with Nopum, and I looked over. It's a poor neighborhood, and I saw a really nice house. I said, Nopum, why is there a super nice house in this poor neighborhood? It doesn't make sense. I said, in, our, in the U.S., if people have money, they move out of the poor neighborhood, and they move into a neighborhood with a lot of nice houses, and all the nice houses are together, and all the poor houses are together. That's the way we, that's the way we roll in the U.S. He looked at me like I was completely nuts. He said, oh, but they dare not. They dare not to leave their parents. 
their parents live next door, and they dare not to leave them. And I went, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> because in the U.S., we move as far away as we can, as quickly as we can. <laughs> different culture, right? So you've got to read the Bible through a different set of eyes. In the ancient world, there's no safety net. There's no government system to rescue you or to guarantee your life if you have problems. Didn't happen. Your safety net is your family. It's your alliances. In Myanmar, there's no safety net. There's no government program. You're stuck. Your safety net is your family. It's your allegiance. That's why it's so strong. And Jesus says, you must leave that allegiance behind and make your relationship with me the ultimate priority of your life. That's what he's talking about in this setting. It's hard. On December 29th, 2019, just a month ago or so, there were two young men who were baptized. We have a picture of the two young men. Here they are. And these men, Nopum led them to faith in Christ and baptized them, and they wrote out their testimony. He sent the testimony to Christopher and I. Beautiful testimony. You know, almost always in a testimony of a Christian who comes from a Buddhist family, they will always talk about their parents and they will say, and one of these young men, he wrote and he said, I've always honored my parents and worshiped my ancestors. I've always done that. But now I'm giving my life to Christ. And I can guarantee you that is a game changer in his life. And that's why Nopum, when he baptizes them, he asks them this question as part of the baptism. He says, are you prepared? Before he dunks them, are you prepared to follow Jesus Christ until you die, no matter what it costs you. That's the way they baptize in Myanmar. <laughs> the answer is yes, okay, then you can be baptized. That's just, that's discipleship, you see. Did it ever happen here? There's a woman that used to come to church back at Green Tree. And she would come during worship and she would weep and cry. For three weeks in a row, I went to her and, and I said at the end of the third week, I'm like, why, why the tears? Why are you crying every week? How can I help you? She said, oh, I was raised in Ethiopia and sent to a Christian school by my parents, and they taught me about Jesus. I remember Jesus. I remember Jesus, and, and I love Jesus. And all of this is bringing me back to that. And I said, well, Jesus loves you too, and he would love to receive you. And she said, I can never become a Christian because my husband hates Christians and he will never accept me if I become a Christian. And she walked out and never saw her again. You see, it's not just far away, it's here too. And it's not just relationships, it's ourselves. Maybe we get this one even more. Okay, what does it say in this verse? If you, you know, you have to hate, and we've defined that, father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and even his own life. This isn't a, a, a prescription for self-loathing. <laughs> That's not what it is. Don't psychologize this. Put the definition back in. It is to turn away from instead of giving preferential treatment. So in our culture, the real tough thing is this. You say, oh, yeah, I can walk away from my family, no problem. I already did. That's what we do here. 
But can you walk away from your own priorities, your own dreams, your own identity, your own preferences, your own choices? Now it's getting tough. Because in our culture, those are the things that are the ultimate values. My choice, my preference, my identity, my dream is what we grow up with. And Jesus says, you have to put that aside. Jesus is here to reorder our priorities, our values, our allegiances. This is the challenge of Christ. And with it will come conflict. So Jesus gives this teaching about the man who builds a tower and whether he can complete it or not, right? Well, why, why would you build a tower in a field? Who would do that? Well, they build a tower because it's, it's for a watchman. It's for a defensive posture. So if you have property, you put a tower and a guy can see if there's robbers and things like that. He gives an illustration about a king going to war. Both illustrations are about conflict that will be coming. It's impossible to be a fully devoted follower of Christ without having some conflict in your life. We see it in Myanmar all the time. I have a photo here of Fa Zhao, and we've prayed for him. This is the man that the government told him, you can no longer have Christian worship in your home. And so they shut him down. So now he goes from house to house out in the Delta region in a poor area. He goes from house to house to house preaching and teaching the gospel. And this brother knows what it means to count the cost because that's the cost. It's a price to be paid. I have another photo of this young woman, uh, Jin Sun Win. And Jin Sun Win is significantly shorter than I am. I'm just going to say it. Um, she's 22 years old. She's a former boarding school student. She came to Christ. She's from a Buddhist family. God called her to go back to Rakhine State, where the conflict zone is, and open a boarding home. She's the one who will be running this boarding home in the conflict zone or near it that the church in Arkansas will be supporting. And she's amazing. And she basically said to us, uh, if you're not bothered by gunfire, you should come and visit. <laughs> you know, it was just hardcore. When she got on a bus the next day and she went back to Rakhine, they got stuck in the mountains overnight. They couldn't go in because there was so much gunfire between the government militia and the rebel forces, and they had to sleep in the bus overnight. And then they, were, they went down. And Nopum has gone now with the money from the Southern Church to find a place in a safe place that's within a couple of hours where they can move the boarding home, all right? Her father is a Buddhist. When she came to faith in Christ and told the family, it's like, you've shamed our family, all right? It's hard. But you know what? Who was watching the kids at the boarding home while she was here at the training? Guess who was watching? Her Buddhist father. Why? Because her witness, her testimony, is having an influence and bringing him to Christ. She prayed with us with tears streaming down her face, please pray for my father that he'll come to faith in Christ. Okay, so this is the story of discipleship to Christ. There will be conflict. Realize the intention of Christ to move us from the crowd to being committed. 
to reorder our priorities and commitments and to remind us that there will be conflict. And here's the final thing I want to share about this passage. We must always remember the infinite significance and value of the gospel. Jesus calls us into something that's not just hard, but it's significant. In fact, the reason it is significant is because it is hard. The two go hand in hand. He calls us to something of infinite value that is so valuable that it's worth going through the hassles or the change of heart that we need to in order to be a part of it. So we always have to keep in mind the infinite value of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know the value of the gospel of Christ in your life? You know, when I became a Christian, I didn't want to join a Christian club. I wasn't signing up for an after-school club. I didn't want to join just a religious organization, hang around and learn spiritual truths. I actually wanted to be a part of something that would change the world. I wanted to know a living, risen Savior who was King of kings, Lord of lords, who was on a mission to redeem the entire world, and I got to be a part of it. That fires me up. (laughs) How about you? You see, if your vision of the Christian life is too small, then you go, why in the world would I sacrifice anything for this? If your thing is, well, I just want to go to the banquet someday, and I don't really care much about the rest of it, you're not going to endure the difficulty, right? Your vision needs to increase. I will tell you this. The greatest gift that you can ever give another human being is your faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. You be faithful. Jin Sun Win, faithful. At first, the parents are like, you've shamed us. Now they're like, oh, what's in your life? Faithful to the call of Christ. I know Christians who are... Parents of adult children, so like my age, parents of adult children whose children are not walking with Christ or who have turned away from Christ, and their hearts are so wounded by this, so hurt by this, that they're tempted, they're tempted to begin letting go of their grip on Christ because the tighter they grip Christ, the further they feel from their own children. And here's my word of advice. Don't let go. Grip tighter. The greatest gift you can ever give your children, whether they're young or adults, the greatest gift you can ever give them is your commitment to Christ. Because whatever they're holding on to and gripping is not worth it. It's not going to serve them well. But the gospel of Christ is the greatest treasure the world has ever known. Hold on to that treasure. Hold it up. Let people see its value in your life. That's the greatest gift you can give anybody. And so Jesus is expanding their thinking about what does it mean to follow, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Prayerfully, he's doing that in our lives as well. Let's say a prayer about that as the worship team comes forward. Father, I thank you for these beautiful words I thank you for words of grace and words of challenge, Lord, and somehow I think words of challenge are words of grace if we hear them rightly. I thank you for the privilege of being called and included in something that is so grand, so epic, Lord, so world-changing and life-changing. 
And Lord, we ask that today as we worship and take communion, you'll search our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you'll show us where we need to reorder our priorities in relationships or in our own personal just choices and identity, Lord. Bring it all under the Lordship of Christ. I pray, Lord, that you'll show us the infinite value and significance of the gospel of Christ, Lord, so that all of these things are framed in a frame of grace and love and your victory, Lord. We love you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.